crunchy, munchy, delightful, divine. I just love eating all of the time. A plate is great if it's filled to the brim. Pieces with flies spilling over the rim. Good morning. Hello, Sam. How is it going, Mr. Dingle? Dude, it's early. The sun isn't up yet. <laughs> I know, right? What is this winter crap? Um, the sun really isn't up yet. It's dark outside. Aww. I know, because I can see outside. Aw, ours is like half up here in Josie. Mm. But, but not really, and it's freezing, which makes it all much harder. Yeah, Cape Town is a difficult place in winter, man. Mm, and it's going to rain for the next two months. But you know what's actually kind of cool about it is you, Cape Town just gets all of its bad weather out of the way in one go, and then it's done for the rest of the year. But those two months are pretty miserable. Well, bad weather's a relative thing, right? So I don't hate this weather if I'm at home. Uh, mm, and in I've with got, your snuggy. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> I've got a fire snuggie. going and books mm. and a, a snuggy, whatever that is. Dude, it's those blankets with sleeves. Uh, you need one because <laughs> for the whole of winter, like you'll mooch around your house. It's better than a onesie, dude, because like, it's, it's for reading, really. So you lie in bed with a blanket, and the worst thing about reading when you're lying with a blanket is that your, ha- your hands get cold, and the Snuggie is a blanket with sleeves. So okay, it's sold. amazing. <laughs> so you, you got get your Snuggie. Snuggies for two people. It's, it's, it's the best thing. Okay, so you've got a Snuggie. There's another human being inside. Um, You've got a fireplace. You have an obscure medical journal from the 30s. I'm just picturing your your setup here. Um, (laughs) That all sounds pretty damn great. (laughs) And uh, and then this weather's fine, you know, then it's fine. You're Mm. like, I don't care if the sun wants to come up at 11. Go for it, Mm. sun. See if I give a shit. Um, (laughs) But when you have stuff to do... Mm. Um, and you have to force your body, your brain knows, your brain knows it's not a good idea to be up now. And your brain, <laughs> your brain will try everything to stop you from being <laughs> stupid and getting out of bed. Your brain will go, no, what are you doing, man? <laughs> this is the stupid. Sun, the sun has not come up yet. You're an idiot. Go back to bed, make a fire, read a book. Totally, yeah. I wonder if humans ever, I, I don't know, you get the feeling that we should have hibernated at some point in our evolution. Well, we used just, to. Just hibernated for three months. Did we ever hibernate? Yeah. At there's, any stage? Uh, there's, there's strong evidence for, for Homo sapien hibernation. Um, Interesting, yeah. Well, if, if I you think, think, think the strong evidence is me in winter. <laughs> well, if you think about Europe, um, you know, I'm, re- I'm reading this Jared Diamond book. We've discussed this before. Um, yes. Called The World Until Yesterday. Mm. And we we forget how very crappy <laughs> being alive was <laughs> until very recently. Um, mm. And, you know, if you were in Europe in winter not very long ago, there was no central heating. There was no electricity. You could make a fire. It wasn't going to survive the night. Um, mm. and, and so if you could find a, a, a warm hole to squeeze yourself into – uh, you'd pretty much stay there <laughs> until things improved, and um, and it's not quite hibernation on a reptilian level, uh, mm. but human beings used to, you know, not too dissimilarly from bears, just go and try to sleep as much as possible um, and pretend the rest of the world didn't exist until the weather improved. That makes perfect sense, really does. So that's what Cape Town should be doing right now. Absolutely. But no, why do we fight our brains? 
What is it inside a human being that goes, screw the good advice that I've evolved <laughs> to learn over millions of years. I will go out in the cold and make well, a spreadsheet. Well, no, but hang on, right? It's a good thing we do. Otherwise, we would spend our entire days, I don't know, making babies, gorging ourselves, and actually, wait, this sounds amazing. <laughs> let, let me reconsider. Not the, not the actual baby part, I mean, you know, but um, the, the process of getting there. Yeah, no, I mean, we've got to, I suppose, because if we, we didn't, we would all be fat and lazy. We're all, we're all fat and lazy anyway. Yeah, we'd be fatter and lazier. No, it's it's true. It no, is. Right. Modern, no modern life is is. But but I think the point is that modern life is is so against every natural urge that we have. Um, you know, it's it's also the constant stress thing, like that. The, the, the having a watch and this this need to be somewhere every second of the day um, is not something that the human brain, I think, is designed to do either. Um, and I think that most people that I know are in a near constant state of anxiety about their lives. Lives, um, just because of silly things like having to be at places on time, you know, it's it's more stress than we were designed to handle. I think that's why paleo nostalgia is a thing. Mm. People oh, want to eat that, like cavemen. Yeah, that paleo diet thing—that's really weird. What what is the paleo diet? Is it like raw veggies and lots of meat that's undercooked, or like what is the deal? I don't think it needs to be that extreme. What I understand, and, you know, again, it's the fad and everybody's going to have their own interpretation of it. But from what I understand, the paleo diet is about not eating things that your body hasn't evolved to accommodate, like um, complex refined carbohydrates. And, in, and the easiest way to do that is to eat like cavemen did. So, mm. you know, you eat a lot of roots and nuts and, and fruits and vegetables. And, yeah, you eat meat. And it's not that you don't cook the meat, but um, – but you don't add a lot of the stuff that, that our mm. bodies aren't that used to in evolutionary terms. So it's a nice idea, but the problem with that is that even if you're eating vegetables and fruits now, they've, 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 they've been adapted over the last 100, 200 years even, oh, yeah. um, and much longer. Uh, so they're not the same vegetables that people ate you know, millions of years ago, thousands of years ago. Um, I was reading this great article about corn as a, as a great example. So you know, corn originally, before people started breeding them so that they were big and juicy and really sweet. Um, they were they were quite tough and had very small kernels that it was quite hard work to get at. And once you got at them, they weren't as filled with sugar as they are now. Um, and uh, you know, you still get white corn, which is apparently still a step kind of closer to original corn, but still very far away from what corn used to be and is slightly better for you. But, well, corn was yeah. originally a grass which was inedible mm. and it was it was hybridized into what we now know as corn in South mm. America. Mm. Nobody quite knows how those fancy South Americans figured that one out, but uh, somehow <laughs> they knew that if they grew this completely useless grass in a certain way for thousands of years, we'd eventually have something that's packed full of calories. Clever them, because <laughs> corn is delicious. <laughs> but we pretty much kept step with the evolution of the vegetables. Until, mm. until genetic modification came along, there was no way for us to outpace the evolution of a vegetable. We'd still have to hybridize, grow, uh, treat it over generations, and then you end up with, you know, wolf to dog or whatever. Mm. Um, but but what it, it kind of kept step with us because that's, you know, evolution just doesn't happen very quickly. Sure, except when you're talking about vegetables, you know, a generation for, you know, plant seed is much shorter than a generation for a human being. You're so, right. I just said something completely stupid. No, it's okay. 
<laughs> it's early in the morning and it's cold. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I mean, look, I mean, genetically modified food comes under, you know, a lot of, a lot of fire, but it's actually been an amazing thing for humanity as well. It's, it's solving world hunger problems. Thank God for GM food. Well, um, I'm on the fence with GM food. I, yeah. I, I, I think it does amazing things, like you've said, in terms of helping to solve world hunger. Um, but I was quite surprised to learn that Dawkins, for example, is against it. Interesting. Why? Because we like to think we know what the outcome will be of, of genetically modifying food and then eating it, but we don't really. It's a bit of an experiment yeah. on our bodies. <laughs> Feed me, Seymour! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going uh, to grow sentient plants. No, no, I see, I see what you're saying, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so, that's so not me the, saying it. Yeah. Uh, the book I'm reading at the moment uh, is uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing. It's, I have not. I, I might have mentioned it last time. I can't remember. Um, it's a fascinating story about um, – and it's a real story – about the, a woman who lived in the 40s, I think, who had a very aggressive form of cervical cancer, and she, which she ultimately died from. Um, but what happened before she died is that um, some of her, her cancer cells were harvested for scientific experiments, which you didn't have, have to have people's this. permission to do. Yeah. So then they grew these cells in a lab. And because they were such aggressive cancer cells, they, they divided more quickly and, and kind of seemed to live forever, these cells. The, the genes just never started breaking down. Um, so even today, most cell research around the world, or I don't know whether it's most, but a, an enormous amount of cell research, um, all takes place on the cells of this woman, Henrietta Lacks, and they're called yeah. the Kilo cells. There was a radio lab story. episode on this. Oh, was there? I must track it down because the book is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think cancer is, is definitely one of those modern day conditions. I mean, cancer's always been around, but um, I, I just think we, we have no idea how much of modern cancer is caused by these lifestyle changes um, that we just can't really can't really reduce in our lives. You know, you well, can't. Mm. Yeah, and and something Mark, uh, Michael Pollan writes about in the Omnivore's Dilemma and uh, in defense of food as well, that there's um, there's yeah, it's it's like a giant experiment, but there's also these these Western diseases that don't really exist anywhere else that can only be related to food because the only difference between the people with these vascular diseases, varicose veins was one, diabetes was another, mm. and just about every form of cancer. The only difference between them and the people where these things aren't rampant is the way they eat. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, there's some interesting stats about, um, you know, diabetes in South Africa in, in different racial groups because it does, it, it does seem to react to different sort of gene mix, mixes in different ways. Um, so like the Indian population, for example, in South Africa is very prone to diabetes um, and, and increasingly black South Africans as well. Um, mm. Yeah, which 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 you have probably to be very careful talk. with that kind of classification, though. People are yeah. very sensitive about it. Sure. I mean, but it's 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 a fact, like a cow. But um, yeah. But you need to be careful about it, I guess. Because yeah, sure. No, they're not clear lines. Ain't nobody got time for that. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, how do you, I, how do you Because so, eating feels like it's a problem for people in our demographic. It's. Um, it's a pretty obvious thing to anybody else in the world, but to people with what I hesitate to say, but it is a Western diet and a Western lifestyle, mm. um, the whole eating thing is pretty confusing, you know? 
Um, and there's even tech to help us along. Mm. I haven't, I, you know, I, I tend to have a bit of a different view on food like I do on exercise. So I, I haven't, I found some interesting apps that I've tried just because they looked interesting, like the eatery. I don't know if you've seen that. No, what does it do? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. You take pictures of your food, mm. <laughs> so Instagrammers will love it, <laughs> um, and then there's a network of people running the app, and they see your food. They don't see any other details about you, and then they rate it. Um, oh, no. I don't want anyone to judge my cooking. <laughs> well, they can't <laughs> taste it. They can Go only away, see bitches. it and see what it is. Um, but they, can, they basically give you a thumbs up or down. I think it's a score out of 10 or whatever. And then Based on how yummy it looks or on how healthy whatever, it looks? Whatever. Whatever. Okay. If they think you're eating right. <laughs> That's and so then, weird. And then you get this crowdsource score um, of your eating every week. And it actually – it makes you – you see, I'm, I'm big on like That's mindfulness. <laughs> it makes you very mindful of what you're eating. Um, and uh, it's an interesting way to reflect on what you're eating. It's, huh. it's, it's cool because it's not just another calorie counting app. Okay. Um, but uh, it's – I actually thought it was quite fun because you get to rate huh. other people's food as well. Okay. That's uh, kind of interesting. I don't know how useful it is, but yeah. whatever. Well, if, if everyone watching me would see endless uh, peanut butter sandwiches, which wouldn't be very interesting, <laughs> parts of popcorn. I eat like an idiot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I find my, my main problem with food is, is just around busyness and, and kind of getting to the store. Um, I, wish, I wish someone would roll out those, um, you know, those services where people drop fresh veggies at your house once a week I, I want one of those um, well you can do that you can do that there there's there well, stores that do that pick and pay online well, like Woolworths pick and online pay in does, South Africa. But, but i want i want like yummy fresh veggies I've, I've found the online shopping thing with pick and pay and woolies just hasn't really been very good yet um you kind of you order i don't know you order oranges and you get grapefruits and you're like who the hell eats grapefruit no one likes grapefruit <laughs> it's the hated veg like the hated fruit um yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of like the idea of being a bit more mindful of food. Uh, I think my the thing that I, I'm trying to do a lot more of at the moment is try to expand my, my cooking repertoire because you kind of get stuck in making the same thing, peanut butter sandwiches, every day. Um, so I've, I've, I use Evernote uh, food, like I use Evernote everything, to keep track of recipes I come across that look yummy. And yeah. just, you know, trying to, trying to pick up a different thing every week and try something new. But it's, it's literally, it's just the time to go and buy things and then mm. to cook that I find is the problem. So I think, um, I think the whole, the eating thing is actually simple. As far as I'm concerned, it's all about moderation, right? Mm. As are most mm. things in life. You know, there's very extreme views on food at the moment. We've got fads like the paleo diet. Mm. We've got people like Professor Tim Noakes, um, who's going this animal fat that we thought we shouldn't eat there's nothing wrong with it you mm, know mm. gouge yourself on fat it's the carbohydrates and the sugars that are the enemy don't eat any of them <laughs> just eat meat you know and I, i'm of course yeah. exaggerating tim no, totally. that extreme but yeah um but and then you know 10 years from now somebody else will probably come out against oh, for sure. protein and fat again and then but really the secret is like your body needs carbohydrates mm. and sugars just not that much of it um and the French prove over and over again that you can eat the worst things in the world so long as you don't eat a lot of them and you walk everywhere, right? <laughs> exactly. And yeah. one thing my op new obsession mm. with running has taught me is that exercise doesn't help you anything if you aren't eating right. Mm. Um, you have to do both. You can't just think, oh, I'm going to eat right 
and then everything will magically be okay. Or, oh, I'm going to exercise and then I can eat whatever I want. It just doesn't work that way. I must say that I found when I started running that it fundamentally changed how I saw food. I, I, for the first time in my life, I really understood the relationship of or understood food as fuel, you know, weirdly, um, having never exercised in my life, you know. But when you go for a run and you haven't eaten properly for the last two days and you, you actually it, yeah. cannot move, you're like, OK, oh, oh right. OK, now I understand. <laughs> but then, you know, also people take that to extreme. And I think the worst for me is, is Tim Ferriss and the four hour body. Have you read that thing? No, I'm not oh, a Tim Ferriss fan. Crazy! It's so insane. Like I, I, I read it out of morbid curiosity. So, um, like Twilight. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, but um, no, he, he, he really talks about. I don't know. He takes it to another level. He creates these these weird cocktails of hormones that he that he drinks three times a day, and like I mean, soil and God green. knows what that does. Yeah, no, but he like gets stuff specially, like he, he gets his doctors to write out prescriptions for certain things that you can only rarely buy across the counter in Asia, you know, <laughs> um, that have very scientific sounding names, which is always, you know, worrying when you're, you're consuming those regularly. Um, wow. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy, 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 crazy stuff. But he, you know, his thing is is what is the least possible effort you can put in to get the most output. Yeah, and he's he's very pro steroids as well, which is, ugh. yeah, interesting though. Yeah, I, I maybe I should read the book too out of morbid fascination. I didn't like mm. the four hour work week. Um, the mm. first few chapters had some useful stuff in, mm. and then he basically teaches you how to rip off people because that's what he did. He, mm. you know, he made a powder that does nothing. Uh, made up lies about how it works on the brain to make your exercise more effective, sold it online, uh, duped a lot of people out of money mm. while he was on holiday. So I think it, the four-hour work week's subtitle should be um, defraud people and go on holiday because that's basically <laughs> what he teaches you to do. Yeah. I just realized if he ever has this podcast, he's going to sue me. <laughs> But, you know, that's oh, well. fine. I don't, oh, well. I don't think he'd ever want to publicly have to talk about the products that made him rich outside of his books. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's – I don't know. The, the thing about Tim Ferriss is he seems incredibly shameless, uh, which is kind of an well, interesting in approach I, to I life. I respect that. I like, mm. his, I like that he's sort of uh, unrepentant mm. about his views. Um, but they are extreme views. And this idea that it's okay to just sell anything – Mm. Um, and automate that business so that stupid people will buy something that's not going to make their life better or worse and Mm. that you might have to lie to sell them. That's okay because of the awesome life it it enables for you. Sure. And that's not – I mean that's not exactly what the 4-Hour Workweek is about. He talks about freelancers that can work from anywhere, et cetera, but but it kind of ruined the rest of the book for me. Yeah, yeah, no, he is he is quite scummy in a in a lot of ways. Look, I mean, I th- I think there was something about the philosophy of that book which which was interesting for me, and and like you say, it's what comes across in the first couple of chapters, the the kind of core idea of. Uh, you know, take take a step back and consider why you're actually working such long hours. What what are you getting out of it? Um, yeah, that's, which, that's good. Yeah, which is good, absolutely, because too many of us just do it mind, mindlessly because we feel like well, we should. The other thing that's great about the book is he teaches you how to manage expectations at work. Mm. Um, and and I liked it because it's something that, that I've believed for a long time is that you get treated the way that you – that you demand to be treated at work if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, like if you act like somebody who needs to be clock-watched, you will be clock-watched. Mm. If, but, but you need to set the ground rules as early as possible. That's, mm. that's where I was 
that you know that's been my experience is mm. you need to set an expectation with the people you work with of of when you're around and when you aren't and that that's okay because because you're performing and i think unfortunately it's very difficult once a certain expectation has been established of you like if you're a person that oh you can phone that person at 11 o'clock at night you can email that person on a sunday whatever you know it's very very difficult to change that if that's been the way and that's the expectation people have of you absolutely yeah but um the the key to this all of course is doing awesome work mm. like if if you're delivering awesomely for the business nobody's going to give you crap about mm. not being in the office today or mm. whatever they they have no grounds to criticize you on if you're delivering what the business expects you to deliver and then some but i think that people misunderstand that and take it as there's too much focus on the busy work of work, you know, the, the, the answering emails within 30 seconds sort of thing, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that because it makes them feel like everyone is going to see them as being very productive. Um, and in the short term, maybe it does. Maybe it, it, it kind of, you know, that's someone who's, who's, you know, reliable and gets back to you quickly or whatever. But in the long run and, and in, you know, six months later when people are looking back and thinking about you as a person and what you've contributed, no one is going to remember oh you know that person was great at responding to email uh they came to all the meetings on time um you know if they haven't actually produced anything and busy work often is in contradiction to getting real work done i think and that deep well, thinking work we we've spoken before on the show uh, mm. in fact i think it was in the show just before this one mm. about advertising about companies that measure the wrong things and people mm. do it as well mm. we think hits on a website mean that that things are going well, <laughs> but if you're not selling anything, they aren't. Exactly. And so Likes if somebody might page, be answering, yeah. f- answering your emails in 30 seconds, well, mm. that's good. But are they also delivering mm. the spreadsheets and whatever else you need them to uh, <laughs> I'll get those spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes you, again, with boundaries, um, I think you've got, to, you've got to train the people around you to know that, you know, you don't check your email more than twice a day. Um, but in between, you're doing some really cool shit. And as long as you are actually doing that cool shit in between and there is an output at the end of the day, then people get over it. You have to buy your freedom, Sam. Yeah, fight. <laughs> so that you can then leave the office and go and eat some more. <laughs> Eating, yummy. I um, <laughs> If you speak to people who have really been forced into um, tough situations like survival situations uh, in the bush or whatever – uh, where they have to keep themselves going and there's not a lot of food around and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, they all say that the whole three meals a day thing is bollocks. You should be eating small amounts throughout the day. Mm. Whenever you can find it, basically. <clears throat> well, more than that. So when you do find it, you store some. But the idea is that every two hours you're giving your body needs a little bit more Mm. Uh, of that fuel, like you were saying earlier. Mm. Um, and big meals throw out that rhythm. Mm. Uh, so one of the crazier diets I've heard of is is literally, it's kind of paleo, but you're eating those things every two hours and you're eating tiny portions. Hmm. Interesting. And if you watch, it, if you watch t- like little kids, sort mm. of between the ages of two and five, mm. uh, some doctors will tell you that's the best way for them to eat. They kind of need little bits of food all day long. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I suppose it's just difficult to gain because you've got to find stuff that is, you know, easy to store, easy to carry around with you um, and isn't peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> for those, those snacks throughout the day. I don't think peanut butter is that bad. 
Oh, dude, the reason I eat it is because it's like the perfect, the perfect pick-me-up meal. It's just packed with protein and and energy, and it's great. It's yeah. the bread that's the problem. Yeah, probably. But yeah, you know, peanut butter spoon is just not as filling. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, bread is a weird is a weird thing. Mm. Bread should be really simple. It's you know, it's water, yeast, and flour. Mm. But if you turn over, you know, a loaf of bread in your nearest supermarket and read the list of ingredients, there's like 400 things that they put in bread there mm. to make it last longer, to make it, yeah. I don't know, pack better. Yeah. Well, ditto for most things in supermarkets these days. I mean, it's amazing if you just go around and look at how many products have corn syrup in it. Um, yeah. Everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bread. Weird. Um, do you remember <laughs> when you were a little kid? Um how I don't know if this was the same for you, but I think it was the same for a lot of people that I, I grew up with. Um, that you know, mom's sandwiches when when you went to school were always very neat and they were always cut the same way. And you know, mom knew how you liked them. And then once in a blue moon, when mom was busy, dad would make the sandwiches. And for some reason, whenever you opened your lunchbox, the sandwiches would be all over the place. You know, like yeah. the, the bread wouldn't have stuck together. Just like dad's head. Exactly. What was it about dad's sandwiches? Dad's dad's sandwiches just would never worked. Man sandwiches. <laughs> you could always tell when they were dad's. They were very functional. <laughs> Smashed together. <Totally. laughs> or really something. Funny. I hope that you, you, you are evolving a new generation of dad sandwiches for your kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I make a pretty good sandwich. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, good, good. <laughs> they, they seldom get eaten, but I make them. Mm. Um, yeah. It is weird, though, that like sandwiches are the lunch that kids grew up on for, you know, uh, 18 odd years or not quite 18 but every day of school it's sandwiches sandwiches sandwich is the default food stuff for lunch yeah yeah i wonder how that happened yeah i sometimes think things would just be easier if we didn't need to eat but they'd be much less delicious yeah (laughs) and it should be an opt-in environment possibly possibly should be like i want to eat today but tomorrow i may not so, but, you know, some people do kind of take that approach in that they'll, they'll do, I don't know, f- meal replacement energy drinks most of the days. And then occasionally when they feel like eating because they want to eat something delicious, not because they have to, you know, they'll then go and splurge on something rich Dude, and, have you and amazing. Seen this, this new stuff on the market that everybody's going bananas about, it's called um, something life, I future think. Future life. Oh, my God. Future I'm obsessed life. with future life. It's it delicious. It tastes like energy bars. Dude, it's no, you've got to have the chocolate one. That's the trick. The chocolate <laughs> one is the only one that you have, but it's amazing. And the they've p- been clever because they make all sorts of pseudoscientific claims on the cover <laughs> and it's packed full of I vitamins. I don't care about that shit. It's delicious. <laughs> like vitamins are the biggest lie of the Western world. Oh, totally. Yeah. Nobody eating a Western diet needs vitamins. Your body's already got too many vitamins I mean, just, just from the p- food you eat. Yeah, you're going to pee them all out anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. If I don't you, know what if, it is. Mm. If, I was going to say, if you eat rice all day, mm-hmm. then yeah, then maybe you need some vitamin C <laughs> supplements. But if you eat the way we do, uh, you know, and with the variety we do, there is mm. no chance your body needs any nutrients above yeah. what you're eating already. Mm. Yeah, true, true. And, the, and, and, and then we've, we've got other pseudoscientific claims on top of that, like the fact that vitamin, not vitamin the fact, C. the idea that Ugh. vitamin C boosts your immunity, which is a meaningless 
But do you know phrase. what kills me? You can't me, boost your immunity. What kills me about vitamin C is that the number of times I've gone to a pharmacy with people who have trained in this kind of thing. They've gone to university and they have degrees. And I go in, I say to the pharmacist, I have a cold, I need some paracetamol, and is there anything else you'd suggest? And they give you vitamin C fizzy drinks. Why? Well, Why is the pharmacist perpetuating this ridiculous they've been, idea? They've been trained by their customers that that's what people want. Mm. But you That's, know my yeah. my nearest pharmacy has a homeopathy table so <gasps> That's yeah. just wrong because yeah. I don't know you're putting it in a in a in a mostly scientific environment so yeah 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 I mean there was one spurious claim about vitamin C published in the 60s or 70s I think it was mm. that created this whole market for bollocks uh, immune boosters. The only way you can boost your immunity, so to speak, is with a vaccine. Mm, um, by you, by your, injecting your, sickness into yourself. Exactly. Your immunity is a balance, if anything. There's nothing yeah. to boost. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, antibodies don't go, oh, vitamin C, I can use that as a spear against the flu. I mean, what do people <laughs> think are happening in their veins? It's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's weird, though. Uh, I think maybe maybe the placebo effect uh, balances it out. But this is the weird thing in the ethics of medicine, right? So the placebo effect is a very real thing. Uh, yeah, it's you been know, tested. Exactly. And in fact, people now are testing what is the most effective means of delivering a placebo effect or kind of creating a placebo effect. So is it better if we inject them with salt water or, um, you know, should we give them pills? What, what, yeah. what should well, we tell and, them about pills? And the, the placebo pills? effect is very easy to explain. Yeah. And your, your brain is a laboratory that makes chemicals. Mm. The reason medicines, real medicines like paracetamol work is because they're attached to the receptors in your brain that your brain already has for the, the chemicals that it's evolved to produce over millions of years. Mm. So when you give somebody, and they found this now, it's very interesting, when you give somebody a placebo, your brain expects that chemical and actually starts producing small amounts of it itself. Mm, amazing, yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's, there's obviously the ethical question there. So the placebo effect is a very real thing. Should we pay doctors to kind of, you know, induce that effect on us? <laughs> and should we be okay with that if they're not actually doing anything? And well, under what circumstances? I guess, I guess for most doctors, they see their job as making people feel better. And if mm. a, you need a placebo to do that, fine. There's nothing unethical about administering placebos. Mm. There's something deeply unethical about taking a system like homeopathy, yeah. which some crazy guy cooked up 600 years ago when they couldn't even make working toilets, and then <laughs> sell that as you know something that's been utterly disproven mm. yeah. that it, it just doesn't work and, and, and sell that lie to people. That's different from using a yeah. placebo. Well, I think I suppose that at core, the thing is, if there is a real scientifically proven uh, you know, treatment for a condition, and in that circumstance, instead, you're administering a placebo. That's deeply problematic. But where there is no cure and there is actually nothing you can really do, like with the common cold or, you know, incurable diseases, I guess, um, then I suppose placebos, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Food yeah. is complicated. It is. It is. And it's, this it's, show's about making things not complicated so we can do more of the things we want to. And... Well, I don't think the, we arrived at any food solution today. <laughs> well, it's, you know, and, and 
as with a lot of things in our behavior, we know what the right thing is to do. Mm. Like we know what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating. Mm. We know we shouldn't be eating a lot of anything, you mm. know. We know what we have to do. It's actually doing it that's the difficult part. Mm. Mm. Because we actually should just be hibernating right now anyway, <laughs> not making decisions at all. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I think I'm going to go do that right now. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'm quite jealous. I'm at work and I'm going to go and run around and do, answer a whole bunch of emails. So I look busy. <laughs> Make a spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Send me that spreadsheet. No. And I will reply in 30 seconds. <laughs> Absolutely. As always, Mr. Dingle, it's been fun chatting. Rad. Okay, I'll chat we'll to you chat next again Friday. soon, Sam. Enjoy you your make public my holiday. Week. You too, too, you too. Really, this is lots of fun. Aw, okay. Okay, go be warm. <laughs> Thanks, lady. Keep it real. Bye. Bye-bye.